Hey everyone, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. So getting right into it today, this piece is going to be about hyperinflation and the supply chain crisis and all the different stuff that's going on right now in the world like most of my pieces seem to have been over the past few weeks if you like this video go ahead and hit subscribe it really really helps me and can allow me to keep on creating content it's important to track this stuff and to pay attention what's going on in the broad economy because you can say, oh, I'm going to go invest in Palantir because I think the government's going to secure contracts and that's going to be good for them. But if you have society falling apart because of hyperinflation, let me tell you, your stocks aren't going to matter anymore. It's really important to talk about this stuff, which is why I've been spending so much time on supply chains, why I've been spending so much time on sort of the underlying fundamentals of what it means to have a functioning economy. The whole summary of this piece is that we have essentially a broken policy system that relies on the levers of monetary policy in order to get things done. So we rely kind of on this like nudge, nudge, wink, wink society where it's like, oh, nudge, nudge, we're going to raise rates. So you spend money, nudge, nudge, and do capital investment projects, nudge, nudge. And we don't ever like fully kind of address this idea of what it would actually look like to have more direct investment in innovation and what it would take to actually have capital it'll be directed in a more productive and value-added manner. We're getting into a really tight economy where people are spending too much money. Everything's crazy. It's Weimar Germany 2.0. And no, like to just, you know, no, it's, it, we're not there yet. I'm going to get into all that. And I, I think it's really Jack, who's the CEO of Twitter, tweeted out that hyperinflation is going to change everything. It's happening. He's not wrong. Hyperinflation is happening in a lot of countries around the world right now. And and Jack's right. I don't know what he meant, but hyper, hyperinflation is like if it happens, it's going to change everything. You cannot have a fully functioning society under hyperinflation. But but if he's implying that the United States has hyperinflation, I think that that's a little bit insulting. I, I did a video on Weimar and you can go and watch it. It's, it's under my YouTube shorts. The Weimar Republic is one of the best known instances of hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is a rise in the inflation rate of over 100% over a three-year time price of coffee rising as you drink it kind of deal. You see this in the foreign exchange value of the German mark. At Germany's peak, they had an inflation rate of over 30,000. The, the mark peak. was worth about one trillionth of its original value. War going on as well as the German revolution, and they financed the war with debt and money printing. Inflation was seen as a good thing in the eyes of politicians because it was keeping unemployment low. War debt essentially ended up being unrepayable really well during this time in nominal terms, so people were celebrating their nominal returns they were making, despite the fact that they weren't making hardly any money at all, borrowing debt in order to get into hard assets like real estate, but their debt was essentially being inflated away. But none of that mattered at the end of the day because asset values were essentially wiped out. Farmers stopped accepting the mark as a form of currency. And they had to issue new currency to replace it. This is the paradox of inflation. There's never enough money despite there being far too much. As well as the paradox of money. It only really works if people believe in it. 
So what is hyperinflation? So hyperinflation is defined by a rise in prices of over 50% per month to 1000% per year. The price of a cup of coffee is going to be rising as you drink it kind of deal. You're like, all right, this was $5 a minute ago and now it's $15 two minutes later. That's kind of the situation that you're getting into. And with hyperinflation, that does result in somewhat of a crumbling of society. Weimar Republic, which is modern day Germany, is one of the best known historical instances of hyperinflation. At the peak of the Weimar Republic, Republic was experiencing inflation rates of 29,500% per month. <laughs> so I don't even know, like that math is nuts. Like you would have a cup of coffee and then that cup of coffee be like more than your net worth in like a couple of days. The mark ended up being worth one trillionth of its original value. And so you just see essentially total destruction of a society here. And what happened with Weimar Germany they had decided to fund the war. So the World War One, they had decided to fund the war through borrowing. And they were like, oh, if we win, like, no big deal, right? They lost. And they were saddled with a massive amount of debt. And the Treaty of Versailles imposed a huge debt on Germany and the, the, that they had to repay either in gold or foreign currency. And so Germany was like, all right, we'll go and get some foreign currency. We'll issue our currency in order to go get that foreign currency. And they had to issue a lot of currency. And then that currency ended up circulating throughout society. And it ended up being really bad. So inflation in Weimar Germany was a policy to pay for war, which is why it got so out of control. And weirdly enough, um, for the first like set of it, inflation was seen as a good thing when I was working, when they were able to get foreign currency. At first, it was keeping unemployment low. Everyone was like, okay, like things don't seem that bad. In nominal terms, people were happy for a little bit. The stock market, quote unquote, tripled. Things were fine, that inflation, until you know the stock market fell 97% into 1922. The people benefiting from inflation purchased assets via debt, so they would go get real estate, and they exported cheap goods into Germany because of the low exchange rate, or they invested in gold. People started taking out loans because you might as well buy a physical place to stay with your depreciating currency and get your debt inflated away. So it just ended up being like super skewed incentives in the society. And as always, the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. And the war debts kept on coming. The government kept on printing money. Tax revenues fell to zero because the government was Ill illegitimate in the eyes of its people. I, I'm, you know, I don't know about you, but if I have a government that's like, oh, I'm going to go spend a certain amount of money and just keep on issuing currency, it's like, well, I'm not gonna pay you my tax dollars, buddy. You're not, you know, keeping up the roads. You're not doing anything for me. The government was just issuing bonds, and they were just trying to create more money to try and fix everything. German people quickly realized that their money was rapidly losing value. They tried to spend it quickly, which led to increased monetary velocity, which led to even higher prices. So it was really this vicious feedback loop. This concept of velocity is really important, and I'll touch on it in a bit here soon. The loop was broken when farmers stopped accepting money for food. Hyperinflation really only works when money is considered usable. And once farmers who beat us strike, uh, game over. Farmers are the underbelly of the economy, and they're like, oh, we're no longer going to accept the German mark in exchange for this loaf of bread. You gotta eat. At the end of the day, the farmers control society because they are the ones who are producing food. Especially back then, they said, no thanks, we don't want this money, game over. Germany ended up essentially redoing their currency, which was then backed by bonds, backed by gold. They had to revalue their currency. They paid some reparations I and mean, they reinstated their government bonds. This devastation and fear that showed up 
led right into World War II, the rise of Nazi Germany. So just absolutely devastating. Then the question becomes, is the U.S. the same as Weimar Germany? No, it's not. So Jack, a lot of people are like, oh, Jack, <laughs> Jack has access to so much data because of Square, and which primarily works with like small to medium businesses. Sure, so does Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, Marinated Express, but you don't see them going on Twitter and being like, hyperinflation is here, everybody. Ha ha, it's happening. None of them are doing that, and I think it's mostly because Jack is a little bit bullish on Bitcoin, and I'll talk about crypto and the role that it has in all of this. Somebody tweeted at me, I've lived through actual hyperinflation twice, Argentina in the 80s, Russia in the early 90s. <laughs> and that's the type where the government decides to lop four to five zeros off its currency and prices are written in chalk because they might change that afternoon. Jack's hyperinflation is not hyperinflation, which I agree with. Then the question is, well, could the chips be falling in a direction where we do have higher inflation, more than 10% per month for a while? I could see that happening. We have really high pressure on supply chains right now. We don't have the capital investment necessary in order to fix that and or nor the apparent interest from policymakers to fix it. But I don't see an environment where inflation will reach more than 50% per month. And you can see hyperinflation in the countries below. That is systemic failure. And I don't think that the US, for as much flack as people give it, it's still the reserve currency. The way things are right now, if the U.S. goes under, everybody goes under. And I just don't think that we're in a, a spot where, that, where that's going to happen. The U.S. Um, does have a lot of money circulating right now. We're recovering from a pandemic, and that does require an element of monetary easing. And the Fed has yet to taper from that. They keep on promising that they will, but we don't see that happening. They say that they're going to pull back on asset purchases. That's going to be the first step, but we just don't. See that happening quite yet. A lot of people are saying it will happen soon. But this isn't Weimar Germany in terms of how the Fed is spending, how the government is spending money, because there are sinks in the economy. And my, this is sort of like my thesis for why it's not Weimar Germany, amongst other things, is that there are sinks that are reducing the velocity of money. So the velocity of money is how much money is moving throughout the economy, how many times it's changed hands. So frequency at which one unit of currency is used to purchase domestically produced goods and services. So if low, people aren't buying stuff at that high of a clip, you're just not transacting at that same rate, they're either saving their money or investing it into the stock market, crypto market. If it's high, people are buying a lot of stuff at a fast clip. They're saying, okay, spin, 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 spin. And as you can see in this graph, the money isn't moving through the economy in the same way that it used to. People are saving. And also a lot of rich people are very rich right now. And they tend to spend less. They tend to hold more. They tend to invest in physical assets like real estate, uh, the stock market, which isn't a physical asset, but they intend to invest in stickier assets. They're not going to have the propensity to spend that a lower income consumer would have. And I also think that there are certain sinks in the United States. So when you think about these various sinks that exist throughout the economy, they act as absorp absorption tools. What are sinks? Sinks reduce inflation. In video games, there are different sinks that exist in order to take money out of that in-game economy and, and sort of stabilize it. This reduces inflation so the in-game economy can, can prosper. So if you think about it, it's a function of fees. So paying a certain amount of in-game currency to access part of a world, money gets taken out of circulation then, higher priced items 
items. You pay money into rare collectibles that takes money out of the economy and, and the rare collectible. With the crypto land, people funnel their USD into crypto where they either buy NFTs or keep that money in the crypto economy with the expectation that it's going to appreciate over time. Crypto just acts as this tool, takes money out of this dynamic system of the economy and puts it into the more static system of the crypto economy, which is still figuring out how it transacts and works and stuff. And I also think venture capital dollars are somewhat of a sink here too, because they're funneled into startups that are going to hold on to them for X number of years. But arguably, uh, there's an increasing amount of VC dollars that are going into crypto startups. And I also think that we have a collector society. So you can see this in how people consume right now. I went to a Pokemon event a few weeks ago with the dumb money guys who are awesome. Go check out their channel. But they were doing a collector event where people were buying Pokemon cards for $10,000. We don't have, we have this sort of collector society where people are buying big things, whether that be cars, houses, etc., where you can theoretically only consume so many of those. So people, those act as a sink as well. And you're also starting to see the consumers slow down a little bit. We've seen a really big decrease in consumer confidence over the past few months. Um, because people are really spending into the savings glut that they've acquired over the pandemic because we've been open for a few months now. People are like, all right, go spend all the money. And I think we'll see a pretty big slowdown after January when the holidays are done. So those are kind of how some of the levers that act as a sink in the economy. So the reason that we wouldn't have either like a high inflationary environment or hyperinflationary environment is because crypto, venture capital dollars, this like collector society that we have, is going to take a lot of this money and just sort of consume it. And, and that's not going to be funneled out into the, into the broad world. And you can see this in the element of velocity and the money supply. Kathy Wood came out also and said that she did a, a quick thread, you know, great minds think alike, a quick thread on how velocity impacts things, noting that she thinks that there will be deflation. This is something that she is hanging her hat on, which is totally antithetical to Jack's sensationalist tweet about hyperinflation. But there's tech-enabled inflation. AI is her example here. That's making everything a bit more efficient. There's also creative destruction. So companies have invested in share buybacks and dividends over time, over actually like being good companies companies and so they're gonna die too because they just suck and then there's also cyclical inflation where companies you know they took on too much to try and solve the current supply chain crisis so they've over indexed on supply chains and so we're going to have too much supply on the other side of this because people are like there's so much shortages right now so i'm gonna purchase even more this gets into the bullwhip effect where people just buy up a bunch of stuff and they're because the fear of fear of shortages and another one that she didn't really talk about but demographic we're, we're not we're aging we're not having babies at least my generation isn't at the same rate there's no babies you're not going to consume as much and so all of those are deflationary pressures another reason why we wouldn't have hyperinflation so tech enabled deflation creative destruction cyclical deflation and then also demographics so just like all of these different levers that are working against this broader narrative of why hyperinflation might exist this gets into like kind of what she was saying about tech enabled creative destruction cyclical we are still growing as an economy and i have obviously as, as i think most people know and if you're new to the channel Hello. And I have a big beef with consumer spending as like the big measure for how we measure GDP growth. But right now, consumer spending is how we measure, measure GDP growth. The consumer is clearly very still spending. That's why we're worried about inflation. So GDP is still growing. In a hyperinflationary environment, you have a lot of money printing, but you don't have the GDP growth to match it.
So in the US, we do have a lot of money printing, but we also have a large portion of demand and capital investment. And this gets into supply and demand. So this is something I talked a lot about. So I'm not going to keep on you know, talking about it. You can go and watch some of my older stuff if you're a little bit curious about what my thoughts are or how I think, how it's sort of all shaping out. So with supply chains, demand is clearly outstripping supply. People are wanting their things. And they want them now. But the issue here is not only are there not enough truck drivers to get stuff to where it needs to go, and they're also treated really poorly, but there's also not enough cargo room to take stuff where it needs to go. So you have a labor shortage, you have a capacity shortage. The demand side of the equation is super high, and theoretically the supply side should be able to keep up, but it can't because the supply side is fundamentally broken. The stalwart tweeted out this really important thing a few days ago where he was talking about th their jobs require them to line up for hours for hours to pick up cargo and they're only paid when they move it. So the entire system is built around free labor from truck drivers as they wait for containers. So think about if your boss was like, hey, I'm going to make you sit here, watch this thing print out, but I'm not going to pay you to watch it print out. But once it's done printing, you're in charge of that piece of paper. And if you move, um, you're not getting any money. So you, you have to wait to, for that piece of paper to print out. And once it finally does print out, then you get paid, but you're not paid up until that point. Skewed incentive system doesn't make a lot of sense. And this is primarily because we don't care about the pieces of our supply chains. So I did a pretty a deep dive into the Department of Transportation and their call for comments around everything that's going wrong with supply chains. An easy one. If you have a truck stop, make sure it has a 24-7, 365 sit-down restaurant. A lot of truckers end up sleeping in their trucks. A lot of people sent me a lot of really horrifying things about the trucking industry and what they go through. There's a lot of laws around trucking where you can't idle in your vehicle, you can't sit down for a long period of time, you can't stay in your truck with it on for a long period of time. The issue is you don't have anywhere to sleep, so you can't sleep in your truck with the heat on, even though it's cold even though you can't find somewhere to sleep because you'll get written a ticket. You also can't stop for a bathroom break because that's going to work against your compensation. So there's just a, a ton of things wrong with the trucking industry. I'm going to do a whole separate video on that because I think it's so important, but I wanted to kind of, you know, address this hyperinflationary thing first uh, and then get into like kind of the meat of the system. So there are so many pieces to this puzzle. And if one thing breaks, like the whole thing is going to break. And this is because of broken policy. There's misdirected incentives where capital investment should be funneled into logistics companies, into trucks, into cargo ships, etc. But instead, it's funneled into B2B SaaS companies, which is fine until it's not. So you can only have so many companies that are raising $500 million to reinvent Zoom until all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, you know, society actually still relies on physical infrastructure. Why? This is crazy. Misdirected incentives all over the place in terms of funding. And, and that leads to a lot of capital misallocation. And that is sort of where we get this inflationary pressure, where we get the supply side not able to keep up with the demand side, even if that's temporary. And so the issue here isn't just capital investment, but it's the policy around capital investment. So people are saying to truck drivers, to crane operators, we're going to underpay you. We're going to expect you to do X amount of work and create a totally misaligned incentive structure. So policy isn't directing dollars to where it needs to go and it isn't moving capital in the right way. And this gets into monetary policy. And so this, I think monetary.
monetary policy is sort of like the perfect example of policy not working the way that it should which is a very top bottom problem in our society we can see that with the fed and interest rates so the fed says okay we're going to raise rates we're going to nudge nudge a certain amount of dollars in a certain direction and we expect economic growth to be x percent because we've nudged rates down this much or nudged them up this much so we think economic growth is going to contract and so rates and asset purchases are essentially a lever so if they raise rates it becomes harder to borrow which should reduce capital spend and make everyone slow down if they lower rates that's going to be a nudge to increase capital spend make everyone invest in new projects hypothetically but the issue here is that it's not working so if you look at monetary policy from that lens everyone's like okay whatever fed you think that you can raise rates like we really don't care that much the main thing is that monetary policy isn't designed to encourage capital investment and supply-side innovation. And this is largely because we are so dependent on consumer spending as a tool for economic growth. So it isn't about what can be enhanced, such as encouraging innovation, rather about what can be reduced, such as spending. Enhanced policy would directly encourage dollars to go towards productive units like R&D or education for employees. Reduced policy like we have now at a very high level just makes it harder, easier for people to borrow money to work towards productive capacity. So I'm saying eliminate the middleman. Get rid of the nudge and just say, hey, X amount of dollars needs to go fund capital innovation and infrastructure. Go do it right now. Etc. And that's sort of what the infrastructure bill is meant to be, but we all know. We all know how it works. So this gets into the idea of policy incentives. So it isn't enticing for those dollars to revolutionize the supply chain. So you have misaligned incentives from the top. The problem with supply chains at large is just policy. There's a lot of people who have done a lot of work on what different policy could look like. And it, it's just the supply chain is broken from a macro and micro level. So if it turns out if you've been cost cutting a main line in the supply chain, like the railroad capacity for the past 20 years, if things go haywire, the whole thing is going to go crazy. So it's railroads, it's ports, it's cranes, it's truckers, it's clerks it's how long the containers are sitting without truck drivers it's the maintenance of yard equipment it's package unloading it's everything it's everything and huntsman who writes a really good newsletter about this you know it's, it's you have to have this invent you have to have this reinvented at a policy level you're not going to have the sort of the uber or freight come in and, and disrupt this because policy is just so fundamentally broken so yeah and so what could lead to an element of hyperinflation so supply chains will normalize but what could result in long-term pain the cost of being a small business um this is more just something to keep an eye on than anything small businesses have been really hurt by the pandemic not only from a supply chain perspective but also from an ad spend perspective so apple has a total monopoly over that and thus the cost of spend that those businesses incur businesses are completely crunched as to how to proceed as small businesses can't grow that's going to create an inflationary environment because they're going to have to raise prices you're either going to have apple win the game at that point or smaller businesses are going to get pushed out of the market. Consumers are going to end up paying a lot higher prices in order to interact with those small businesses. So it's just kind of like a loose, loose situation for everybody but Apple. So I think that ad spin metric is going to be very interesting to watch from an inflationary perspective. And then I also think that there's a lot of companies that are just buying up things. So you see this with Zillow. 
they bought up a bunch of homes and now they're losing money on those homes because they don't know how to flip for a profit. And if we keep on having intervention like this in the market, it could skew market mechanics and distort prices. There's this guy named Rick and he, he tweeted out a lot of speculators in the build for rent space that are tying properties up and going through the entitlement process and then flipping that property for an increased price. You know, the equity requirements are getting larger and larger. So you're just pricing everybody out of the market at that point. So it's going to distort prices. It's going to skew market mechanics. And if that's happening at a real estate level, it's like, how is anybody ever going to own a home? Is crypto the answer? Just want to address this really quickly. Maybe you could theoretically fractionalize your Bitcoin, but in a hyperinflationary environment, things are going to go crazy. So like, let's say that everybody wants to funnel their money into Bitcoin. That's going to cause the price of Bitcoin to rise. And then the people who are holding on to Bitcoin, what's the incentive to transact at that point? Because you're going to want to hold it. You're going to want to use it as a tool of speculation, not a tool of transaction. Uh, so more simply, the US dollar would lose its reserve currency if we did have hyperinflation. The holders of the dollar lose all faith. Resource controls are put in, and this would essentially harm crypto. Obviously, I'm bullish on crypto. I, I think it's really great. I think it's really interesting. But I think that if the U.S. went through hyperinflation, that would be near catastrophic, and it's not something that should be celebrated by crypto people as a win for crypto. We have to remember that we are like a society at the end of the day. The U.S. is the world leader still at this moment, and the failure of the U.S. is going to do a lot more harm than make crypto go up. We have to remember that. So what's going on here? We have a lot of bad policy. We have inflation where we do have rising prices in the U.S., and this is mostly a function of like high demand and also a lot of money circulating because of the Fed. However, this is not hyperinflation because Weimar just inflated away their economy, and we don't see the Fed doing that. They're not printing at that same rate. The main takeaway from this piece is that policy is fundamentally broken, and we know how to fix it. We know the levers in place in order to you know, make this a little bit better. We just have to engage. But policy is broken because we've forgotten about these quote-unquote middlemen. We have become so accustomed to the consumption on demand society that we operate in mind in a world that we've, we, we, we forget that society hinges on people. We forget about that. And I like this quote from Morgan a lot. Humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. The connectors have to play the game in order for the game to work. This is one of like the most important takeaways that you could have is that if we have these key pieces of this puzzle, deciding not to quote-unquote play the game anymore. So if you saw in Weimar, Germany, the farmers choosing not to accept currency, all of a sudden you cannot have a functioning society because if you don't have people feeding you, it, sh it doesn't work. We can still value these connectors in our society who do so much work and treat them the way that they deserve to be treated. Even monetary policy with the nudge, the connectors have to play the game in order for the game to work. The connectors are the most important. You and I are a connector. Truck drivers are connectors. Farmers are connectors. Connectors have to play the game as a small business in order to work with Apple. You have to have all these different pieces falling into place and playing this game at the same time. And 
people are behind absolutely everything. The connectors are the most important part of this overall equation. We have to take care of each other. Connectors have to play the game in order for the game to work. That's the key takeaway. So no hyperinflation, but we gotta take care of each other. Growing together is key. We're stronger together than we are alone. I'm so bullish on human nature, so bullish on society. We've done so much. We gotta, we gotta figure this out uh, together. Obviously, like human society progressed because of arms races and because we fought each other. But you can't fight everybody. You gotta have some people on your side. If you like this video, go ahead and hit subscribe. It really, really helps me and can allow me to keep on creating content. I do appreciate you all listening and, and being there for me. I'll talk to you soon.